Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. City View Church. I'm Todd. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're joining us online today, uh, especially if this is your first time hanging out with us. Uh, listen, just say hello in the chat. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Well, uh, as a card-carrying member of the Dad Joke Club, it is my moral responsibility to always have a dad joke on hand for every opportunity. For example, uh, when the when the checkout cashier at my grocery store asks if I would like to put my milk in a bag, I simply respond, no thank you, please keep it in the carton. Now, that is the beauty of a dad joke, right? Uh, it, it makes so much sense. It actually doesn't seem funny at first. And then kind of out of annoyance and maybe even a little anger, you have no choice but to laugh at it. Not too long ago, Sarah, my wife, uh, was doing a senior photo session for a star quarterback here in East County. And, and you know football players, man. They're, they're not allowed to smile. And so my wife was trying to get him to smile. His mom was trying to get him to smile to no avail. And I had to step in and do my work. And so I said, hey, a guy is sitting at home when he hears a knock at the door, and he opens the door and looks down and sees a snail. And he picks the snail up and throws it as hard as he can, goes back inside the house. A year later, there's another knock at the door. He opens it up and looks down and sees the same small snail who simply says, dude, what was that for? (laughs) This kid tried so hard not to react but my dad joke powers were too strong for him. Now, a, a, a well-known sort of niche of dad jokes are good news, bad news jokes. And, and, and I've always kind of liked these good news, bad news deals because, you know, it, it, the details are like, you know, the story goes from, from tragedy to triumph and, and, and back to tragedy. You, you know the kind I mean. You know, uh, two football-loving friends Uh, agree that whichever one dies first will come back and tell the other one if there is actually football in heaven. And uh, the first one to die contacts his friend and says, the good news is there is football in heaven. The bad news is you're playing quarterback on Friday. Now, I think one of the reasons why these good news, bad news kinds of dad jokes resonate so well with us is because these kinds of jokes are kind of like a little microcosm into our own lives. Uh, Our lives, as I'm sure you know, can be a mixed bag of good news, bad news. You get into the top school of your choice, that's good news. You don't get the full ride scholarship you were hoping for, that's bad news. Uh, You're able to find a job right out of college, that's great news. But you have to work the graveyard shift until you have paid your dues. That's bad news. Your wife gets pregnant as soon as you try to start a family. That's good news. 
but your mother-in-law insists on living with you to help take care of the baby. Yeah. Your kids grow up, and they love the sport of football. That's good news. Your kid is a Chargers fan. Yeah. Right? You see, these jokes resonate so well because they remind us of our own lives. Now, there's a lesser-known niche of these kinds of jokes. They're not good news, bad news jokes. They're actually bad news, worse news jokes. You see, this is where the bad news is actually the best-case scenario. And it kind of goes downhill from there. A doctor says to his patient, I'm afraid I have bad news and worse news. Oh, dear, what is the bad news? Asked the patient. The doctor replies, you only have 24 hours to live. (laughs) That's terrible, said the patient. How can the news possibly be worse than that? And the doctor replies, I've been trying to contact you since yesterday. Here we are at the beginning of 2022, and when you look at the last couple of years, it, it, it kind of feels like we've gone from this like good news to bad news to worse news. And, and at some point, we just hope it's all a joke. The company Axios published its nationwide survey on December 31st, 2021, last year, and it shows that most Americans say that 2021 was tied for the worst year ever with 2020. And when asked the question, what one word would you use to describe 2021, words like hellish and hectic and chaotic got used quite a bit, but the one word that got used the most, actually, it's two words that were tied for first place, that the number one words used to describe 2021 were exhausting and worrisome. And so when you string together a couple of years in a row, like we have had to go through, it is no wonder that hope in America is at an all-time low with 30% of Americans saying they are fearful about what 2022 holds for them personally, while more than half of Americans are afraid of what this year is going to hold for our country and for the world. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, back in 1933, said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And it sounds good, right? That's good oratory. Uh, To a degree, it makes sense. But 89 years later, those words feel just a little bit hollow these days. Why? Because we are afraid. In fact, Dr. Christopher Bader in his book called Fear Itself says that Americans live in a culture of fear. Persistent fear negatively affects our decision-making abilities. It causes anxiety and depression and poor physical health. Politicians are often effectively um, using our fear to leverage and, and garner more votes, and companies routinely market unnecessary products that promise protection from imagined 
or exaggerated harms. Chapman University published its annual survey on the things that Americans fear the most. And, and, and believe it or not, for the sixth year running, the number one fear in America are corporate government officials. However, listen to these other fears, many of which have debuted in the top 10 for the first time ever. You've got things like biological warfare, pollution of oceans and rivers and lakes, cyber terrorism, economic and financial collapse, another pandemic or a major epidemic, and widespread civil unrest. But then you've got these coming in at number four, the people I love becoming seriously ill. Number three, a loved one contracting COVID-19. And then finally at number two, the people I love dying. We are afraid, deeply and profoundly afraid. In two years into this pandemic, what much of our country has been experiencing for the last couple of years has finally hit close to home for many of us. COVID took my dad's life late last year. And now a few of my close friends and extended family are in the hospital right now fighting for their very lives. We even have people in our own church family right now seriously, seriously ill. And so whether you are afraid of, of you or a loved one getting sick or maybe your fears are more financial or relational in nature, I, I, I want you to know today that you are in good company and you are not alone. Here's the thing, though. At some point, we have got to ask ourselves the question, what can I even do about my deepest fears? Is there seriously something that we can do to overcome our fear, or are we simply doomed to live a life of panic, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think the Apostle Paul gives us a clue as to the answer to this question in Romans chapter 8. If you've got a, a Bible nearby or maybe a favorite Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open that up to Romans chapter 8. And in, in verse 35, Paul, Paul says this. He, in fact, he asks this question. Can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory. If you're following along on your outline right now, would you underline those two words? Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
You know, sometimes when the worst happens, we want to know, where was God? And so 2,000 years ago, Paul writes this list of things that we all still go through to this very day. Things like trouble and disaster and social injustice and hunger and poverty and danger and even death. And Paul goes on to say that not only can none of those things actually separate you from God and God's presence in our life, but in spite of those very things, we are more than conquerors through, through Jesus because of God's presence in our lives. Overwhelming victory is ours. In fact, I want you to write this down. You don't have to be afraid of the things that you already have victory over. You do not have to be afraid of the things that you already have victory over. But you do have to face them anyways. Let me say it again. You do not have to be afraid of the things that you already have victory over. But... You still have to face them anyways. You are going to go through every one of the things that the Apostle Paul has listed. You are going to go through your trouble. You are going to face disaster. You're going to go through times of financial challenge. You are even going to die one day. It's already on God's calendar. You are going to face those things and more, but because you already have victory over them, you do not need to be afraid of them. So what I want to share with you for the last few minutes that we have together today is probably the single most helpful passage of Scripture that has helped me and millions of other Christ followers before me over the last 2,000 years when it comes to overcoming your greatest fear. In fact, if there was one piece of the Bible that I can encourage you to memorize this week, it would be this one passage that we're gonna briefly touch on today, and that is the 23rd Psalm. Uh, a lot of guys and gals smarter than me believe that David wrote this psalm towards the end of his life. And it tells a story of a shepherd uh, leading his flock on a journey uh, from peaceful meadows and streams through dangerous roads through on the other side till they get to their forever home. And I believe it's in the 23rd Psalm where you do find these six keys to facing your fears. And so if you're following along on your outline, I want you to write this down, number one. The first key to facing your fear is to know who God is and know who you are in relation to him. You need to know who God is and who you are in relation to him. David says that the Lord 
is my shepherd. And I lack nothing. See, God is the one that's leading me from point A to point B. That means God is my shepherd. I'm simply a part of his flock. And that, that means I'm not the shepherd. He is. And because he is the shepherd, that means I have everything I need because it's the shepherd who's providing all of the road trip snacks on this journey. The shepherd is bigger than my fears. And so as long as I have the shepherd, I don't need to worry about the things I am afraid of currently. As long as I'm with the shepherd, I lack nothing. And so the first key is to know who God is and to know who I am and then compare the two. Second key for facing my fears, number two, is to know that God is going to meet my every need. God is going to meet my every need. Verse two says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And on this trip where I'm going from where I am to where God is taking me, we are on God's schedule, not mine. And so when God says it's time to get up and get moving, we go. And when God says it's time to take a nap, we sleep. The people that subscribe to this 24-7 hustle and grind lifestyle are people who think it's all on them, and the truth is it's not. Those people have actually taken their fears and their worries and have painted them as something to be proud of. That's why the psalmist says, he, he makes me lie down. Because sometimes when we don't listen, God makes us lie down to remind us it's, it's not all on us that God is gonna meet your every need on his timetable, not yours. And so, and someone might need to write this down. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap. Psalm 127 verse two says, it is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night Fearing, would you underline that word? Fearing that you will starve to death for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. A lot of this hustle lifestyle that, that you see on Instagram and TikTok, it's really rooted in fear. Fear of not having enough, fear of missing out, fear of not fitting in. And while God is not obligated to give you everything that you want, he has promised to give you everything that you need. And that's what he will do. He will meet your every need. Number three on your outline, you need to know that God is going to lead you every step of the way. God is going to lead you 
Second part of uh, the third verse says that he guides me along the right paths for the sake of his good name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Now, a couple things you need to get from this. Number one, regardless of what path you're on right now, God will lead you to, to get to where he needs you to go, to, to go where he wants you to go. And it's, it's so important to realize, and, and, and David tells us that we so easily miss this, is that the presence of a valley in our lives does not automatically mean that we have somehow missed being in the will of God. David says, he guides me along the right path even though I walk through the darkest valley. And sometimes God will lead you through a valley simply to teach you to trust him. God will lead you to your deepest fear and walk you right down the middle of that sucker so that you can know firsthand that God is bigger than your biggest fear. And that fear is something that you go through. Not over, not under, not around, and not away from. Fear is something that you go through. Fourth key to facing your fear on your outline, number four, you need to know that God is right beside you. David continues in verse four and says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is an interesting point in the 23rd Psalm because David goes from talking about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd. Up until this point, David has only referred to the shepherd as he, and now he's saying you. And this is what happens when you decide to face your fears instead of trying to avoid them. God becomes personal to you. Faith stops being theory, and it starts becoming a part of your experience. And David realizes while he's in the valley of the shadow of death, he does not have to be afraid because they're just shadows. And the shadow of something is always bigger than the substance of it. And David looks up and realizes that the good shepherd has been with him this whole time. And that God's presence and God's power, two things that are always readily available to him, those are the only things that he needs to get to where he's supposed to be going. Number five on your outline. You need to know that the things on the other side of your fear are better than you could possibly imagine. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, the overflowing cup was a powerful symbol and 
in the days of David, uh, the uh, hosts in the ancient East used it to send a message to the guest that as long as the cup was kept full, the guest knew he was welcome. But when the cup sat empty, the host was hinting to the guest that it was time for them to move on. But on those occasions, however, when the host really enjoyed the company of his guest, he would fill the cup to overflowing. He didn't stop when the wine reached the rim. He kept pouring until the wine ran over the edge of the cup and down onto the table. God really enjoys your company. And here's the point. Everything that God has for you is on the other side of your fear. And it's better than you could possibly imagine. You just have to be willing to face your fear in order to get past it. So far, we've talked about the need to know who God is compared to who you are, the need to know that God is gonna meet your every need, that he's going to lead you every step of the way. You need to know that God is right beside you and that everything on the other side of your fear is actually better than you could possibly imagine. And then finally, the sixth key to facing your fears is this. You need to know that your greatest fears are no match for God's good news. Sometimes this life, it feels like, feels like a good news, bad news joke or a bad news, worst news joke. And, and, and your greatest fears, your biggest fears are no match for God's good news. It's gonna end with good news. And so... Um, until it's good, God ain't done. David closes out this psalm by saying, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness and his, his love, they're chasing you down as you go through your fear to get to the other side. The banquet hall was, was filled, and, and to speak for this fundraiser, this big occasion, a renowned order had been brought in, and after, uh, after everyone had eaten, um, he mesmerized the crowd with his voice as he recited uh, poetry and, and famous selections uh, you know, from different speeches. And near the end of the, the program, he asked if anybody had a, a favorite selection that they would like him to recite. And from the back of the room, an old man stood up and kindly asked if he would recite the 23rd Psalm. And the speaker said that he would be glad to do it if, if the old man would get up and recite it after him. And the old man nodded his head and sat back down. And in a beautifully, classically trained voice, with a voice that filled the entire room, the speaker began 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And when he was finished, the entire room stood up in thunderous applause, giving him a standing ovation. And then he looked at the old man and said, all right, sir, it's your turn now. And in a trembling voice that was cracked by time, the old man began to recite, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And um, the people who were there said that when he was finished, there was no applause, but there wasn't a dry eye, a dry eye in the house either. After the event, someone had gone, come up to the famous speaker to ask him what he thought produced the different responses in the audience. And the speaker paused and thought for a moment, and he said, I know the psalm, but that man knows the shepherd, and that makes all the difference. You see, that is the difference between those who run from their fears versus those who face their fears. One might know the psalm, but the other one knows their shepherd. That makes all the difference. When you know the shepherd, you don't need to be afraid. Because the shepherd is always bigger than your biggest fears. Even your fear for death. Jesus, the good shepherd, he said it this way in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And Jesus goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as we close our time together today, I just want to ask you, would you consider accepting Jesus' invitation to untrouble your heart, to let go of your fear and put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the good shepherd, because that's what makes the difference. You can know the psalm, but do you know the shepherd? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and our time together. Pray for my friends who are watching this all over the country, maybe even all over the world. And would you reach into their hearts now? I pray that they would hear your invitation to put their trust and faith in you, their good shepherd, that they would know in their heart <clears throat> that you have everything they need, that you're going to lead them every step of the way 
that you're right there beside them and that everything they could possibly want is on the other side of facing their fear and it's better than they could possibly imagine and that no matter what kind of bad news world they are living in, it is no match for your good news, that your goodness and your mercy is chasing them down and that one day if they put their faith in the good shepherd in Jesus that they will dwell in your house forever. Why? Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust in God, trust in me. And so for those of you who are watching this now, I just wanna encourage you in your own heart, just say, God, I am done trying to live life my own way. I want to do life your way. I want to live in such a way that fear does not have the last word in my life. With your help, I want to live courageously. I want to stand up and face my fear. And holding onto your hand, I want to walk right down the middle of it onto the other side where you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And so for those of you who would say, yeah, that's me, that's what I want today, you need to say, God, I believe you. I believe as best as I can, as best as I can understand in this moment that Jesus is enough for me. That he lived a perfect life and died a death on a cross that he did not deserve to pay for my sin. And so I'm asking you to come into my life right here, right now, that you would clean me up from the inside out and fill me with your presence so that I can live this one and only life for you, with you, fearlessly, courageously, and fulfill the purpose that you've created me for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, listen, if you just pray that prayer with me for the first time, I'd love to know right now in the chat if you just say, hey, I just pray that with you. And uh, uh, someone from our church will actually be reaching out to you right now. We've got a couple of next steps for you. want to send you some stuff to help you in this new faith of yours. I'm so, super excited for your future. God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday.